In this episode, we discuss what to do when a customer has security and compliance questions, plus a whole lot more. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? What up, what up, what up? That was the lowest energy uh, intro you've ever given, Rick. I was intentionally doing, okay? doing that. I was intentionally <laughs> doing that just to offset the last one. Mm-hmm. It was a little little overboard last time. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, things are good. I, I got back last week from Big Snow Tiny Conf, um, which if people didn't listen to me explain that before, it's like it was an 11-person air quotes conference. You know, it wasn't really like a conference, but uh, kind of an 11-person, almost like a mastermind session type thing uh, in Vermont that I went to that was a lot of fun. Well, tell me about it. Like, I I, I love, I never have time or or I, I know I like to do these things, um, mm-hmm. but it never seems like I can make the time to do it, nor do I get invited to the things that I actually want to go do. So <laughs> tell me, like, was it worth it? You have to say nice things on the podcast, I assume. Yeah, but no, like, it was terrible. Yeah. I hated everyone. No. No, yeah, it was... Um, I've... I think you've done more of this type of thing in the past. Not this exact thing, but you like have networked. And if I was like, name 20 business people you know personally, you could probably do that pretty effortlessly. That is not true for me. I'm like, mm. I can tell you the people I work with. And aside from that, Rick Lindquist. And that's my full <laughs> list. Uh, <laughs> so it was fun kind of going and meeting people. It's, it's so different from a con- like a, a real conference with you know 100 plus people. You're just constantly meeting new people. Which is good in the sense that you get to like, you get a, a lot of shots on goal, so to speak, but every interaction is fairly shallow. Um, whereas this was something like two and a half, three days with the same 11 people, I'm me being one of them, so 10 other people, uh, skiing or snowboarding, you know, in the morning, take a little break in the afternoon, and then around like 5 p.m., we started kind of talks. And what talks were is everybody gives a kind of like, it's not like, you know, at a, at a normal conference, the person talking is like, I have all the answers. You are dumber than me. I'm going to share my wisdom with you. That's kind of the dynamic normally. This is the opposite. It's I'm going to talk about the stuff that I'm struggling with, the things that I want help with. Uh, and the audience is just constantly kind of interrupting and giving ideas. And it's it's much more the like uh, the reverse of kind of the power dynamic. So it was, it was pretty interesting. That's super cool. Um, did you develop any like, did you know anyone going into this or is it all new people? Uh, mostly new people. Um, Brian Castle from Zip Messages. I, I know him like digitally pretty well and had only met once, which was at Founder Summit. And one of the other guys there I had met at Founder Summit, but otherwise it was uh, a lot of people I've like heard of or seen on Twitter, but not people I really knew. Mm, cool. That's interesting. Any um, takeaways? Um, I, I had like a handful of here's a little marketing idea or this or that. I, I don't think I, I didn't like walk away with people who have been to a lot of conferences know what I'm about to say. But if you haven't, when you hear about conferences, I think you imagine the takeaway is like, I'm going to see someone give a talk and they're going to share an idea that's going to like be worth the price of admission for me. Like I, someone's going to say, here's how you do email marketing. And then I'm going to take that knowledge and apply it. I don't think like in practice, that's really what most people get out of a conference. It's more the relationships and also there's just like kind of a therapy element to it so one of the things i liked is everyone's very open and honest and you see the like if if all you do is hang out on twitter you can be like why is it so hard for me 
everyone else, it seems so easy. You know, all the lines are going up and to the right and people are measuring their growth in double digit percentage per month. And it's like, that's, it's never that easy for me. And then when you get closer to people and you actually hear the real story, you're like, oh, it's hard for everyone. Um, everyone's struggling with something. And that's just kind of therapeutic to know. Yeah, it makes sense. And then I guess on the other side of that, it's like when you're sharing your stuff, it's less about uh, getting tons of ideas uh, on how to solve those problems, or is it more about like just better understanding the problem? Yeah, there there were a lot of, I think it's just like getting challenged. Like, mm. and the, the, I went in before my talk, I went in like, you all are going to say a bunch of stuff that seems obvious to you, and I'm, I'm just not going to do any of it. And so by <laughs> the end of it, there was kind of, it was all in good, uh, good humor, but everyone was calling me a socialist at the end because everyone was like, Tyler doesn't give a shit about money. We like, there's all these obvious ways to make more money and he won't do any of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> or how many people suggested raising prices? I mean, I, I don't know that necessarily everyone spoke up, but I'm pretty sure everyone was in agreement that not necessarily. So our, our price is $15 per per month. I think like arguably that's the right price. The thing that is very obvious to everyone, and even I agree that if my goal is to maximize money, like this is what I should do. Two thirds of our customers are still paying us $10 because they're from before we raised prices. If we just raised the $10 users to 15 um, I think we'd like immediately make an extra million dollars in ARR or something like that. And and so like they're not wrong that a profit maximizing business would absolutely do that, but I just don't want to, you know. <laughs> so, I'm the socialist is is the joke now. That's that's pretty funny. <laughs> um and the funny thing is like most of the people I work with are like self-described socialists, so on, on the one hand I'm like I'm not and on the other hand I'm like but like relatively that doesn't seem like the insult you think it is, you know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, no, it was a lot of fun though. That's I awesome. recommend. And I, one final thought on this. I had been listening for years to Brian talk on his podcast, Bootstrap Web about this and just thinking like, man, it would be cool to get an invite to that. Like the cool kids club, like I'm, I'm never going to be cool enough to get invited. And then I was, and it was great. But like one of my takeaways after this is like, there is nothing stopping anyone from just creating one of these. Like it's literally <laughs> rent an Airbnb and invite 10 people. Uh, it really would like anyone who's listening to this and they think it would be cool to attend, just go make your own. The barrier to entry is, is zero here. That's all. Yeah. It's a great, that's a great point. Um, so yeah, how about, how about you? What's been going on? Well, my main, uh, focus is, uh, for leg up right now is, um, we're, uh, trying to get growth experiments running, um, for the new year. Um, so I want to update on those. Um, the other thing is I, I have, I do have an update on leg up benefits. I have, um, if you tuned into the last episode, Tyler and I are going to be working together to build that platform. Um, I am progressing the, uh, sort of the compensation approach, which, um, I need to do. Um, and the update I think from Tyler is that he's progressing his Laravel skills, uh, so that he's in a position to, to build it. Um, but no major updates on that front. Yeah. Uh, unless you have anything to add. Just, so I actually have, I don't, I've done nothing on Laravel, uh, the past two weeks, but I'll give this update in a bit, but I've really been focusing on how to free up. I'm going to take a sabbatical, which I've said, free up my time so that I can really focus on like a benefits during that. That's kind of, so I've been doing extra less annoying serum work this week so that when the time comes, I can really unplug. So I'll talk more about that later though. That's an interesting topic in and of itself is like, how do you create time for something you want to do? Um, oftentimes to go do something you want to do, it requires some investment today so that you have the time tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I find that I find myself doing that all the time. Can I actually just talk about that now yeah, since we're, since we're yeah. talking about it? Do you know that like, there's like this kind of video from the show Malcolm in the middle that gets shared online a lot 
D- do you know that show? Um, I remember the, uh, was it, was it like a kind of a, a comedy family show? Yeah. Like a family sitcom yeah. type thing. And Brian Cranston, the, the, the bad guy in Breaking Bad is the kind of dad in it. He's not a bad guy, but there's this video that gets shared online all the time of like, I forget the exact order, but it's like he flips on a light switch and the light doesn't turn on. And he's like, oh, I need to go get a light bulb. So he goes in the garage and like a drawer is broken and he's like, oh, I need to fix that. So he goes to get a screwdriver, but that while he's getting the screwdriver, something else is off and like dot, dot, dot. He like has taken apart his entire car to what started with just get a light bulb. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, And I feel like that's kind of happened to me this week because I've been like, so I'm going to take a sabbatical. Six weeks. We offer this to every Less Wing Serum employee every three years, although this is my first time doing it. And I've been like, okay, so when I'm gone, the company has to keep running. So I need to start figuring out all the things I work on and, you know, delegating them or some of them won't need to get delegated. We just won't do it. And then I find myself signing up for two new bank accounts this week. <laughs> and it's it feels like the equivalent of the guy taking the car apart because I was like, well, I'm the only one who can write checks which we don't write that many checks, but if we have to, I'm the only signat, whatever it's called, signatory. Signatory, yeah. Um, and it's with Bank of America, and Bank of America requires all this bullshit to add signatories. So it's like, okay, I'm going to sign up for this other bank. So we signed up for Mercury, which is what all these startups use. But they don't let you write checks. You can mail checks through their bill pay, but you can't get a checkbook. So then I also signed up for Bluevine, <laughs> and then I had some trouble transferring money from Mercury into Bluevine, and then I have to figure out how to cancel Bank of America. Anyway, I, I ended up spending like 10 hours this week on banking because I'm taking a sabbatical in a month. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's stuff like that. But I'll be super, super glad once that's all done, you know? <laughs> that's awesome. No, it's it's interesting. Like, uh, uh, no, I, I, I'm kind of going through the same thing right now, leg up, where it's like, what are the things that I spend recurring time on? Um, how do I eliminate those in Q1? So that uh, for this, you know, second next quarter, I can focus uh, with Tyler on leg up benefits. Um, yeah, I, I think anyone, anyone listening who like, especially if you have an employee that can be delegated to or an assistant or something like that, I should have done this five years ago. I should have said I'm going to act like well, or actually take the sabbatical. But there are, I think there are five things I do at least every week that, because of this exercise, I will never do again. I'm saving not just for the sabbatical, I'm permanently taking this off my plate. And it it was just as simple as taking the time to write down all the shit I'm doing and figure out, oh, someone else can actually do this. The the counter to this is there there is a too early to do some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense. But you you prefaced it with assuming there's someone to de- delegate it to that makes sense. Yeah. I also think people, a, a lot of people make the mistake of playing business where they're like, I'm the CEO, I'm too important to do this. And so they hand it off to someone and then it gets done poorly. Not Not because the other person's necessarily bad at it, but like, yeah, the CEO should absolutely, or the founder rather, forget CEO title. A founder should, it, it's natural to keep doing a lot of random shit, but we're at 19 employees. We've been around 13 years. I should not be doing some of, I should not be the only one who can write a check in the office, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, an, an example for me, uh, just to kind of bring this to light at an earlier stage is um, every month I, especially with you getting involved um, and JD being like committed now for a year and, 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 and going on uh, multiple years, like financial reporting becomes more, more important to the organization. And because we've grown the bean counting to have good, reliable financial reporting is uh, like more time intensive. Mm-hmm. And so I have two choices. I can pay someone to do the bean counting. I don't think we're quite there yet. So do you mean like I'm, bookkeeping? Bookkeeping, yeah, okay. bookkeeping. And I, so I do the bookkeeping. Um, and, but like if I just invested 
an, a couple hours on a Saturday and, and really thought through like auto auto classifying all the recurring expenses that we have and revenue, like I could cut the work like by 90%. Yeah. Um, and make it easier to delegate when the and make it easier to delegate. delegate once I need to. Yes, exactly. So um, that's an example of what, what like it's on my list. But anyway, the, the, the main thing we're focused on right now that isn't related to cr- creating time in the future is growth. And so we've got three interesting experiments running right now that I wanted to share about. The first is JD. Um, so very seasonal business with Lega Pelt. We're at 95 clients. It's funny. We JD wants to get to hundred so bad. Uh, and so it keeps going like up and then like, he'll, like two will drop off. And so it's like, it's been the most frustrating, like, I just saw someone tweet that this is like a common phenomenon that whatever number you want to get to, like it, it stalls right at that number. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. So um, I will get there, but but the the the, the focus um, outside of our open enrollment period, you can't really control when you're doing outreach whether or not someone is in the sh- like a shopping uh, mode or is eligible to buy health insurance. Mm-hmm. But we can control like the number of people we reach out to and like whether or not they answer a question. And so we're he's basically uh, developing the system around profiling that we never really figured out last year. Um, and he got 45 profiles in January um, of Utah consumers. 40% were marketplace people, which is kind of crazy. So that's so like 20 he's leads. Like going on LinkedIn, searching LinkedIn. for people in an industry. Mostly LinkedIn is what's working. It's and just, he, he finds out if they're marketplace just by like asking them and, and these people have answered. Yeah. And, 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 and 40, like 45 people answered his outreach. I don't know what the top of funnel metric is, but... Um, is there the, a reason like why, like I would just ignore this email. What, what's the motivation for them to respond? I don't know. Uh, I, I think Jay's got a message that's like interesting enough, but like the people who are really like, we probably have people who are feeling the pain probably from the recent open enrollment period. And yeah. So that's probably why the high, like 40% of people are marketplace. It's probably high because of that. That's interesting. We, we've, you and I, maybe you've already had this thought, but you and I always talk about open enrollment being the big time. But right after that, I bet a lot of people feel a lot of regret and a lot of like next year is the Anxiety. year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that's working. And, um, he, uh, tried to, he implemented some learnings yesterday, the first of this month, got nine, pri- nine profiles yesterday. So he's on pace to do over a hundred, uh, in February. Um, and yeah. if we can keep that up and hold a, you know, just a 20% rate, We'll have we'll we'll enter open enrollment with like hundreds of really qualified leads just Sorry, from outreach. 20 percent rate meaning you think you can close of these profiles you can close twenty percent of them. No, we're very high level on this. This is like think of this as the we're building the lead list for open enrollment next year. Um, so this assuming we can develop a, a a list of people who we know by by marketplace health insurance, we should be able to close a, a lot of them. I don't know what the percentage is, but a okay. lot of them in an in open enrollment period. But when we're doing profiling, 100% aren't marketplace. So if we do 100 profiles, if 20% are marketplace, then gotcha. we'd have 20 leads per month. So you throw 12. out the non-marketplace ones. We don't throw them out, but we we uh, we don't have something for them right now. But once we have like a benefits, we would be able to say, mm. "Oh, are you a, you work for a small business that offers really crappy group coverage? Would you make an introduction because like a benefits might be better for you?" Gotcha. Cool. Um. Sorry, that's the profile thing. So that's like the outreach thing, and that's working. The second thing that is really interesting is this concept. Have you heard of a concept of aged leads? No. So um, in the health insurance space, you can buy leads. You can do this in any industry. But generally, you buy leads of people who are looking to buy right now. There's a secondary sort of market, though, of like once the list, like 
there, if you buy leads that were interested a year ago, um, you can buy them for a lot cheaper. So if like a new lead who's shopping today uh, for health insurance is $15 from a lead vendor per lead, you could buy like an age lead, meaning they were interested at this time last year for a dollar. Hmm. And what's interesting about this for us is I have a hypothesis, uh, and JD does too, that uh, if someone bought like uh, requested health insurance a year ago for the marketplace, it's likely that they still buy health insurance through the marketplace or at least more likely than the average population. Yeah. And insurance is so different from like with CRM, if they bought a CRM a year ago, they're probably still using it with, with insurance. You're effectively rebuying it every year. Yes. And we have this AOR thing, right? Where we can go and say, Hey, you remember when you bought Marketplace Health Insurance, how many people spam called you because you did the lead thing because we know you did because we got your information? <laughs> We're different. Like, Make us your agent. Um, so uh, we think this has a potential to lead to more profiles like that we could purchase um, and uh, potential conversions. So that's an experiment that we're just launching. I'll be able to update that on, on that soon. Um, if it works, like it seems like a pretty interesting growth lever for us. Yeah. And sorry, you said the ratio is like $15 for a new lead, $1 for an aged lead. Something like that. Wow, I, I that's get, inc- if you're interested in real numbers, I can ask JD, but like that's, that's what that's I have incredible. in my head. And like, so, sorry, I know we're beating a dead horse here, but yeah, like there's, there are some moments where it's like having the buying intent really matters. And back to my example of CRM, it super matters. The window where someone's buying a CRM closes and it's over. But I feel like buying intent for you helps. Like definitely uh, someone who's looking for health insurance right now is worth more than someone who was looking a year ago. But like the the intent doesn't drop off for you the way I feel like it does for me. Yeah. And there, yes. And, and I, I just, I, we haven't quite figured it out yet, but our ability to, once we know that, that you buy your own health insurance, our ability to sell you on making us the agent, like I, I know we're going to crack that eventually. Yeah. And so I, it's just a matter of time and like confidence, honestly. And, and like, what is the thing? Like we're, we're throwing $25 at people now, like make us your agent for 25. Like we can't say that, but like, yeah, but like try us for $25. Um, yeah. and, and so I just know we're going to figure that out. So if we can figure out at the, I have, I'm sort of betting the house that we'll figure that out eventually long-term at some conversion rate. But if so, so if we can figure out at the top of the funnel, like how to identify these people yeah, profitably, then it's like, I, we're going to have a killer business. And it strikes me, I, it's been a long time since I had individual insurance, but the, the process of renewing every year is a pain in the ass, right? Yes. Like it's, it's, it's not, rebuying. It's rebuying. You don't, yeah, you don't you get can, to just be like, yep, give it to me again. You can do that. But it, but, but, uh, things can happen, especially if you're premium tax credit eligible that are mm-hmm. bad. Um, and so yes, you have that option, but like your plan may go away and you may get converted to a new plan and you might not understand that. Yeah. That's There's, what I, every year, yeah. cause I, I was, I was on my own in health insurance for like, I don't know, eight years or something. And every year it was like, okay, that plan's gone. Your deductible you were on going the, up. Yeah. You're on the silver plan. We're, we're splitting it into the silver premium and the silver plus, which one of those do you want? And, <laughs> yeah. And every single year you have to go through this. It just strikes me that that's a perfect time. I mean, obviously we already know open enrollment's a perfect time, but like that's a moment where you can just say, Hey, if you don't want to deal with it this year, talk yeah, to us. So say, like think about September. If we have a list of 400 people that we are like not their agent, like that's when we go like, Hey, open enrollment's coming up, get on our list to have like the concierge, you know, renewal experience. Yeah. It's and free. Pre-book. It's free. It's free. And you'll end up with the same insurance. You just don't have to worry and about it. Twenty five bucks. And we'll give you 25 bucks, <laughs> but not for buying the insurance. Not for buying the insurance for using our software. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 
I've I've been bullish on on this working eventually for a long time, but yeah, that that's the, the fact that you can buy a lead for a dollar is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, cool. uh, the last little experiment, and this is more of a fl- a question. Uh, so, as we now that leg up benefits, now that you Tyler are making leg up benefits a potential reality, and I'm going to say it's actually going to be a reality because oh, we're going to be a reality. We do not fail at things when we work on things <laughs> together. Um, but uh, it's it, JD and I are getting a little greedy and going. One of the best ways to generate leads for uh, leg up benefits is to AOR groups. What does that? So, what does AOR mean? AOR is an agent of record. So when oh, I right, talk sorry. about um, our individual health insurance business going to a consumer, make they can make us the agent. We start receiving the commissions. That same concept applies on the group market. So we could start reaching out to businesses right now and become the agent on group health insurance mm. with the goal of long term building a recurring revenue base that we're going to sabotage into leg up benefits eventually. Now that's almost everyone with a group plan has an agent, right? Yes. So with with individual, you're saying you don't have an agent right now. Make us your agent. With this, you're you're kind of going to war with existing agents a little more. Yep. It's very competitive. But the difference is, um, sub fifty employee groups are generally ignored uh, by their brokers, and so it's it's kind of like a I'll do a fa- you a favor type thing. So it's massively underserved. So it's not that competitive. It's north of fifty employees is where it gets uber. Like people are like taking each other to stake each other who, who can t- do the better steak dinner, yeah. you know, or jazz game, that kind of thing. Um, sub 50, sub 25, which is what's going to be our target for leg up benefits, sub 25 employees. It's pretty like ignored. Gusto would be like the main competitor. Like a, right. a big, and Gusto is like, not going to fight for it at all. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. We get our insurance through Gusto. Mm-hmm. Open up, uh, open up a Missouri, you know, branch and, and we'll switch. <laughs> Great. <laughs> no, our Utah, we got to stay focused on Utah. Stay focused. Um, but anyway, my question to you is like, is that a distraction or should we like, I'll tell you what we did. And then you tell me whether you agree or not. Cause I, I don't want like, I think it's easier for me to say that. So I, I think we're going to just go try a couple and see what it's like. Cause it yeah. could be like a total pain in the ass and not worth it. But I think like, We've actually had people come to us and say, can you just be our agent? Like, really? you're actually super helpful and nice and you answer our calls. Can you just be our agent? And we're like, no, we don't believe in group oh. health insurance. <laughs> okay. So um, we've, we, we think we should just go try this a couple of times. And if it's, it'll generate revenue. Uh, and if, it, if we like it, great. We can keep doing it. But I do worry about it being distracting. Yeah. I'm torn here because on the one hand, it does... It- it's certainly a distraction from leg up health, the individual thing. The flip side of this, you know the market a lot better than me, so like ignore everything I'm about to say. Like I trust your instinct more than mine, but my instinct here is that I've got two things to say. One, 10 years from now, if leg up ventures, is that the, the parent company? Mm-hmm. Okay. If leg up ventures is a success, I think it is more likely the case that leg up benefits is the centerpiece and leg up health, especially the individual insurance component is just like, it's a way to make a little extra money from these people that you've already got as kind of users of leg up benefits. That's guess number one. Guess number, or comment number two is, uh, I don't know if you follow Justin Jackson from Transistor FM, but like he's very good at, as a kind of content thought leader type person of like getting a theme and just hammering it and hammering it. And one of his big themes is if you're surfing, it doesn't matter how good at surfing you are. You got to be where the wave is. 
And I think a, a challenge you faced in your career that you and I both did at Zane Benefits is we were trying to like change public health policy in America. And the product we had was good. I think the company was run well, but the thing we were selling was like borderline illegal. <laughs> uh, and I would encourage you to not fall into the trap of trying to get so far ahead of the rest of the market that you're doing a thing no one else actually like that you're not where the wave is. And I feel like employer benefits, there's a wave there undeniably. D individual, you want to be in a position where if individual takes off the way you expect it to, you're in a position to capitalize. But that's different from saying, I'm going to bet the whole farm and just only go after individual right now. Yep. Uh, it is irrational for us to say no to to the wave of of serving our target customer on group health insurance right now. That is yeah. an irrational decision, and and um, we got to go do it. At the so, same time, like I don't know what what you have to offer. Like with 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 leg up health, you've got more of like a there's this software. It's a productized service. It sounds like in this case, you're really just gonna be an insurance broker. Yeah, there, there's um there is a. Uh, you know, it's funny. We we actually did do a group dental plan for a, a employer um, uh, for fun. Uh, <laughs> I wish people could see you because you just did like the shrug of all shrugs. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, we did it. Uh, um, and and uh, it was pretty manual process, uh, paper, like paperwork. Yeah. Um, but uh, one question that came out of it was, should we create leg up help profiles for the employees and add their dental policy to it? And I was like, no. <laughs> Uh, Just because it wouldn't provide any value to anyone? I don't think so. Um, and yeah. it's not really what leg up health is intended for. Um, but uh, I do think that there is an opportunity to do a, an, ena a, an enabled service um, around group health insurance. Like even leg up benefits could be part of that. Like that could be something leg up benefits does. Um, but uh, it's probably, I don't, I think it's probably something different. There's, there's, there's uh, broker tools out there we could license that provide, yeah. you know, 70% out of, you know, to 80% of the value that you need, um, out of the box. I'm pretty bullish on the idea of you using kind of like a productized service to make your team, which for now is just JD more effective. I'm less bullish on the idea that like getting people to log into a piece of software related to their health insurance, like just everyone's goal is to never think about health insurance. It's not to have a good experience with health insurance, you know? Yep. It's peace of mind. Yeah. So anyway, so, I like it. Go, go. Cool. We're going to do it. The that's, group that's, broker's that's, ass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're going to go try a couple of these and then uh, see if it, it's worth the, it's worth the time. I think it probably will be. Yeah. I mean, it's in the enterprise software world. It's always like, yeah, we're less knowing Sam's going after two user accounts and someone else is selling 10,000 users at a time. It's just, it's a better business model <laughs> to do that. I'm, I'm just, I'm kicking myself now. I bet we've turned down probably a solid 5k in recurring revenue that we would have if we had just said yes. Not, like not even like just on an inbound. Like there's so, so many, there are so many people who, uh, have come to us and said, can you be, can you help us with this? And we've said, no, yeah. um, I'm kicking myself now, but we weren't, we, yeah, we, we I assume go. you can go back to them. Maybe yeah, I mean, absolutely. you might not get them all, but maybe mm -hmm. one or two. Yep. Cool. What what else is on your mind? Um, I want to follow up on something we talked about last time that I, I referenced, but I, I could have 
gone into more. You asked something about kind of like traditions. You, you were planning like an offsite or something with JD. Has that happened already or is that that's still in the future? That is scheduled for the last week of uh, February. Okay. So he's going to come out for three or four days. We were talking about like how to establish company traditions and all that. And I, I think I said this in the last episode, um, but I want to go into more detail. So ap- apologies if I repeat myself too much here, but I mentioned the Shabu night thing. You remember me talking love, about that? I love this. this um, I like yeah. I so I know you've tradition. heard this before, um, but I just wanted to go through the whole history. So because we did this, like, right, like we recorded on a Thursday and the next day we did the Shabu night for the first time since pre-pandemic. Um, was it awesome? So the, it was, it's, it's so incredible. I mean, I mean, like, I'm not a very emotional person, but I'm like, uh, like, holding back tears the whole like happy tears the whole time so the the origin uh, just to repeat myself is in san francisco in the early days of less knowing crm when we hit a milestone like i wanted to celebrate with somebody but like we, there was no company there's no team or whatever so i just invited all my friends to go to shabu which is like a japanese fondue and in san francisco there's i don't know if it's still there it's called shabu house two hours all you can eat all you can drink emphasis on all you can drink for fifty dollars per person so I got to fly out for the next one. I, no, this yeah. is incre- sounds incredible. Absolutely. It's, it's so much fun. And so you get this big, you know, I did, there'd be like 15 of us or like a big group on around this table eating this, like the food's fine, whatever. But like, uh, there's free beer and free sake. So you can do a sake bomb. Um, and the, the rich, I don't know if this is not necessarily a part of like real Shabu tradition in Japan, but like my friend who introduced me to it said, okay, the rule is like, everyone has to toast someone else. And after each toast, you don't have to do a full sake bomb, but that that's when I was younger, that's what we did. Now, now you just have a drink, but, uh, <laughs> so wait, a toast and then a sake bomb. That yeah. was the original. And then there's like a five minute break and then you do it again and then a five minute break and then you do it again. So I, I don't remember the end of any of these necessarily, but, um, so it's, it's, a, it's more tame now, but it's still, there's, if you want to, there, there can be a fair amount of drinking, but the toasts are originally it was with a bunch of stra- like friends, but not people at the company. So now that we're in St. Louis, only three people, only me, Michael and Bracken at the company ever went to one of those original Shabu nights. But it's this tradition that started in a whole different city with a whole different group of people that now all the people in St. Louis, like they know the stories and they know how much fun this is. And so like half the people had never been to one because, you know, we've hired some new people and stuff. And so it's, you know, I stood up at the beginning, gave a toast to like kind of a random person, a random employee. And the rule is like, so she was the next person. So she had to give a toast to someone else. And, and it's just kind of a chain of like, here's what I appreciate about you. Here's what I like about you. Like, here's a thing you did that really impressed me. And it's like partially because of the alcohol and partially just because like there's not normally a moment to stop and like say these things. It gets like really sentimental and nice. And it's just like an incredible company bonding. That's moment. awesome. So positive too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the later in the night as people get a little looser after having a few drinks, like, (laughs) yeah, people say shit they'd never say, but like nice things, you know, (laughs) anyway, uh, I'm not saying everyone, if you want to go steal this exact idea, random listener out there, please go for it. But like moments like that, when I look back, like I remember every single Shabu night so vividly and it's so special. Make something like that. I think that should be the goal. That's awesome. Um, By the way, right. I, I want to say we were planning to do a dinner. Like JD was walking me through the itinerary he was doing. I was like, you know, 
if it doesn't, if it feels like work, like let's kill it. And he was like, great, we'll kill it. <laughs> so we just, <laughs> we actually cut some stuff. Um, yeah. and so we, we feel really good about the agenda that we have now cool. and in the, in the, the focus on relationship building and fun, um, uh, is going to be key. Yeah. Awesome. Any, anything in particular you're excited what, about? Um, I mean, I, I don't ever get to ski, so I'm super excited to ski. Um, so I, we'll, we're going to go to powder mountain probably. Um, have you been nice. there? Yeah. Yeah. I've never skied powder mountain. So really? Yeah. I've been to, like, I haven't oh, been to, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I have been to powder. I, I always confuse powder mountain and snowbird. Um, I've been to both, but yeah. yes, I was like, you've never been to, but snowbird I've been to snowbird. Um, I'm sure you've been to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. but, but, uh, sorry, and that's that may an be, inside baseball when you come out here, mm-hmm. um, snowbird may be the only resort that is still got because it'll be snow. early April. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. Going skiing. That's awesome. Uh, Next update, I've been talking about this for months, but like finally it happened. Zapier has launched. It's official. So in the last month, we we launched a new API and Zapier. Uh, so are, it's been are a, people using it? Not like a ton. We've got, I think, 35 users right now. Um, our current customers are not very tech savvy. And in a sense, we so we were like really worried prior to this because I assume most of our listeners have used Zapier. It's like, it's no code, but it's pretty complicated. Like you have to, <laughs> You have to think like a programmer because it's like when this happens, do this. And you have to like map fields to it. Like, okay, the field's called this on one side and it's called this on the other side. And maybe there's a one-to-many relationship. What do you do with that? It's kind of hard to use. And so one of our concerns was like, we have a really low-tech customer base. Are they all going to see this announcement, go try to use Zapier, and then come to us with all the support questions about how Zapier works? So part of me is kind of glad not many people are using it because that we were really worried about that. It's... The hypothesis is there are a lot of people who are more tech savvy that don't use us because they come check us out. And like you said this for you, like you would never use a CRM that doesn't have Zapier support. Mm-hmm. Um, so our hope is it's mostly for new users as opposed to being for current users. But time will tell. I, I, I just went to your homepage. Did you release a new homepage design? Uh, yeah, we're we're kind of always tweaking it. But yes, we, it looks we just good. concluded an A-B test. Thank it you. It looks like super fresh. Like... It's impressive. You know what the sad thing is that I appreciate you saying that. Uh, literally zero difference in the A-B test between that and our old one. Really? And it's completely different. The copy's different. The design's different. The layout's different. I think we're just at a point where like people are not making a, the decision to buy or not buy based on our homepage. I, I mean, if we made it terrible, we could we could certainly hurt ourselves, but I just don't think there's much room to optimize it anymore. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. It's also... I know you're not like as uh, worried about design as some people. I think if you were, you'd be like, this is not very polished. We're, we're like going through it and like the icons aren't all from the same library and some of the colors don't match. Like we, we need to go fix some things, but, <laughs> but yeah, none of it matter. fucking matters. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Zapier launched. So two of our uh, th- four kind of phase one product led growth projects have launched now. Um, the next big thing coming up is a redesign that I'm, I'm very excited about and that's coming along nicely. It just feels like the dev team is, is crushing it. Like they're moving a lot faster than they used to. Man, like you just got out of the way and then things started happening. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wish that were true. It's actually the opposite. It's because one of the big changes is I, I mentioned this in an episode a while ago. Like I now meet with every developer every two weeks. Before these meetings were still happening, but it was just the dev and Robert, kind of the lead, like the manager, 
But what we realized is Robert's the tech lead, but he's not like the product lead. Uh, and so projects would kind of like all the code getting written was good, but they would veer away from whatever the product priorities were a little bit. So now I'm sitting, it's an hour and a half each week in these meetings and, but it's helped a lot. I, I love your new website. Like it's really fresh. Thank you. I, I feel like it's, I, I, I think we cloned, I want to say Savvy Cal. I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with it. Eunice did the whole thing, but I think she, I think it was Savvy. It was some other company that she was like, I'm going to steal that as the starting point. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Um, I know some people don't like having their ideas borrowed, but uh, I don't know. This is an art. (laughs) This is a landing page. (laughs) Anyway, um, I'm glad you like it though. And then, a uh, final update here on the topic of design, since we were just talking about it. So unfor- we, we have a kind of halftime contract designer um, who's been doing great work helping with our redesign. Unfortunately, she's probably not going to stick around for too much longer. Um, again, I keep saying this, that nobody ever believes me. Uh, she doesn't like working remotely. And she's like, I got to find an in-person job. Uh, oh, she man. lives in Bermuda. So we're probably losing her for that reason. Um, which means we need to figure something out. Uh, I don't want to hire a designer, like a full-timer, because, you know, recession, we're not growing super fast. It's just like adding another person to the team doesn't make sense right now. So I'm trying to figure out how to free up enough of my time to to take over design, which is- You love that. I, I do love it, yeah. So right now, I, I said earlier, I'm, I'm like figuring out all the stuff I could not do, but the things I've spent my time on that I could free up my time in the short term. It's so I can take my sabbatical. But my hope is when I come back from the sabbatical, we'll see if I can actually stay true to this. But my goal is going to be Monday and Tuesday. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to have meetings. I'm not going to, like if an email comes in, that's more like a CEO or a manager type email. I'll be like, I'll get to this on Wednesday. So I want to do Monday, Tuesday, I'm an individual contributor designer. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm like a CEO manager type of person. That's my hope. I think oh, that's I unrealistic, but I'll try. <laughs> yeah, try. Yeah. I mean, I think it's realistic. I actually think, I think when you set days like that, you end up making it happen. If you want it to be that way, it'll end up happening that way. Yeah. The, the hard the thing is saying no. Like, it's so common. I'm sure everyone listening can relate to this. I'm in a meeting. We're talking, oh, these 10 things need to happen. And I'm like, well, I can do these two of them real easily. So I'll take those two and then someone else takes the other eight or whatever. But I'm in... 10 meetings a week like that. And so now I've got 20 tasks a week that I, I just have to say, I have to, I have to start being like, nope, that's not getting done or someone else is doing it. But that that can't, that's not more important than the other work that could be getting done. I'm just so bad at that. It's hard. Yeah. Especially when you like doing the work. Yeah. But I do like design more. So anyway, I'll, I'll keep updating on that. I, I probably won't have an update for a while, but I'm, I'm going to go more into design mode. Um, all right. This is the first time we've finished our updates in less than an hour in a while. We yeah, can, I know. We can go into rants and shout outs. So I have a bit of a rant. So I, I have a newsletter. Um, I crossed 1,000 subscribers a while ago. I wasn't paying attention to my monthly bill, but I do a, did a big financial audit. My like When I crossed 1,000 subscribers, ConvertKit like, upgraded me to the next package, and it more than doubled my subscription fee. Yikes. And from, I just, from what to what? Or like I, ballpark. I, I want to say like, I don't want to say wrong. Um, okay. cause I, but it's not like from five to $10. No, it's, it's like, like $70, $60 now. I, or four, it's like 
hundreds of dollars a year now (laughs) yeah, uh, and heading to thousands of dollars a year. Um, So I'm like, wow, like now I'm conflicted. Like, do I want more subscribers? (laughs) Like they cost money. Um, So I feel like there's something there where it's like, man, either... And I don't fully, I mean, all I use ConvertKit for is to track subscriptions and send emails. So there's probably a more cost-effective alternative. Um, but man, like I, they really got me and it's like not worth going to, it's like expensive enough where it's like painful, but yeah. not too expensive to where it's like, I want to go deal with ripping out. And so I'm just like, okay, you they argue go. they nailed it then, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's kind of what you, if you're profit maximizing, that's what you want. Yeah. So I've always hated, like, I think Basecamp really popularized this kind of tiering system that everyone uses now, which is so funny because then they switched to a totally different pricing model. And then a bunch of people copied that. And then they switched away from that. So they're leaving all these companies with pricing models I hate that are copying their old version. But yeah, old like Basecamp and, and High Rise and all their products were like this, where you had one contact and the price goes from $10 a month to like $60 a month or something. Which what that means is as you're using the product, you're like, I better keep an eye on my contacts or my projects or whatever. And yeah, that's not what you want people (laughs) thinking about. I don't know. The flip side though, is what they could do is be like, we're going to charge you 10 cents for every, you know, 50 subscribers or whatever. And that's just like, there's no certainty in that. Like, okay, so my price is changing every single month. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What what do you think they should do? Well, I guess like, I'm, I'm just... I mean, I, I I wouldn't change anything except like I'm just starting to question whether I want to have a newsletter anymore because it's like costing <laughs> yeah. me more money than it's making. I mean, ConvertKit is a premium priced. ConvertKit is priced for people who make money off of their newsletter. Yeah, yeah that's true. So I'm probably using the wrong tool, be my guess. But like, I'm, I'm just like going to like, let's say I just get, if I grow at the rate I'm growing, I'll probably like I'm, it, growth is accelerating on my newsletter. So let's just say it's a big year and I get to 5,000 subscribers. Be paying a hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Like I can't afford that. Then again, sorry, you said 5,000 subscribers. 5,000. Like that's got to be worth something to you. Yeah. But is it's, yeah, it's I guess worth the five question, times like, what a thousand subscribers. That's what, worth. I mean, assuming I get to like, if that were true, I'd probably figure out a way to make a hundred bucks a month. Yeah. I don't like people who there's all these people. Well, sorry, I, I don't mean to say I don't like the people. I don't like the strategy of. I think there are a lot of people with like podcasts with 200 listeners, and they sell ads, and it's like the the amount of money you're making off these ads is not meaningful. Like, like what you should do is say, I'm going to hire one employee from this audience, or I'm going to get an investor from this audience. That's how you make money off of relatively small audiences. If you don't have a hundred thousand people following you, monetizing with ads. Or charging a subscription or something like that feels silly to me. Totally, totally. At a hundred thousand subscribers, you're at you're at um, how much do you think they charge per month? I mean, a hundred thousand, oof, a, a bunch, like a thousand bucks a month. Almost, yeah, six hundred seventy nine dollars a month for a thousand hundred thousand subscribers on the monthly. Yeah, but I think a lot of people using ConvertKit are like selling eBooks and yeah, that yeah, that's and that's what you get. But then they charge a. I think they do like if you do a. I have to check on it, but I believe like if you if you use their billing sort of uh, subscription service, they take a piece of that too. Yeah, but did you? Uh, I, I if they do, it's small. Because okay. did you see all the Gumroad stuff that just happened? No, I didn't. D- do you know Gumroad? They're, yeah, they're yeah. like a yeah, very well. They, yes. they raised prices to it's ten percent plus whatever your Stripe fees are, so it comes out to you know thirteen percent or something. 
And it's caused this uproar. I know at the time, everyone's like, wow, ConvertKit is super, super cheap compared to that. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Sucks when the price goes up. <laughs> I, I, I just, people jacked prices on me this year. Like, and it, it wasn't just like, oh, here's 10% increase. It was like 100% plus increases for Zapier, Airtable, ConvertKit. This, this is what I loved about the Gumroad thing. Is he was like, well, you know, our old pricing for high volume customers was like 3%. And that's basically the processing fees. We weren't making any money off of it. And it's like, fine. The solution is not to raise it to 13. Yeah. Like, go, raise it to 4%. And now you've got a really nice business. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway. That's, that's why they're rich and we're not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, what next? I don't know. I, I, I had this thing on here about, I, I don't know if you saw, but NDVC, which was a Utah based, um, uh, sort of predecessor to calm fund. Um, it, it, I got, I got an update that, uh, and you can check it out at ndv.vc.com to sign up for their updates. But, um, it, I got an update that they're coming back, um, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And my understanding of the history here is so th they were a predecessor to Calm, Calm Fund, completely unrelated, just like mm -hmm. they were one of the they were the first prominent investor to say, I'm not investing in like high growth, high risk startups. I'm going for a safer, more modest play. Indie companies. Indie companies. Um, and then they shut the fund down saying basically like it's working. The companies we're investing in are giving great returns and all this. But LPs, limited partners, the people who invest in funds, the people who give the investors money they weren't interested in this model. They were saying, they no, we want not, the had, high upside. Yeah, they could not raise money to fund. Yeah. They, they couldn't fund a fund um, right. uh, with institutional investment. And so um, that was interesting. Have you gotten any indication that, because you were an institutional investor at... At Calm. At Calm. I'm um, yeah. sorry, an LP at Calm. An LP, yeah. Um, I mean, were they running into similar problems or is this... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know any details or anything, but yeah. like, I think... I think probably everyone who's an investor, like it's a lot harder to raise money in general right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if problems are related to, I don't even know if that I would call them problems. I don't, I don't have any knowledge here, but I know they're like thinking about how they want to do it as opposed to just like staying on cruise control. At least part of that is just, it's harder to raise money right now. Mm -hmm. But yes, it might also be, actually, you know what they, they have said, I think publicly, like what they had been doing is raising from people like me. And I think they were like, this is not the model, <laughs> you know, because I'm giving like $5,000 a quarter, which to me is a lot of money to them is nothing. And you, it's, it's the same thing we we're just talking about with group insurance. Like it's so much harder to raise money in small chunks versus going to the Harvard endowment fund and being like, how about $5 billion? You yeah. know? Yeah. So yeah, I think it's hard to, it's hard to raise money in general, but especially like if it, LPs are not like institutional investors are not uh, or the LPs behind institutional. They're not trying to make waves. They're not trying to innovate. They want a proven model. Venture capital, even though it's proven to be bad, it's still proven. I say bad because almost all LPs for investors for VCs don't don't beat the market, but whatever. Yeah, it's cool. They're back. Yeah, they're back. So if you, um, you know, another another alternate, another option. Um. I'm going to give a shout out to Mercury Bank. I mentioned them earlier. Everyone listening probably already knows about them. Do you, is this a brand you're familiar with? Yes, I'm. I, and I, I'm with Chase, and I'm. I'm. It's part of my financial system automation. I am curious about Mer Mercury. So, how's that been going? Uh, so far, it's been great. And I mean, they don't do anything that any other bank doesn't do. As a matter of fact, they do significantly less. But it's just 
easy like the amount of time you have to spend on the phone with Bank of America and half the time Bank of America, I think Chase is the same way. They're like, you need to come into a branch to do that because, you know, they're worried about fraud and, and this and that. But I'm like, well, my brother is the person who opened the account. He's in Boston. I'm in St. Louis. Half the time Bank of America is like, the two of you need to come in together. It's like, well, okay, then we're just not getting the thing done that we need done because we're in different cities. Mercury is just like an online first bank. So you can't do as much, but what you can do, it's like point and click, like add other users, create credit cards, transfer money around, um, you know, open up as many checking accounts or like, I think they give you up to 15 checking accounts, which is awesome. Yeah. I have to pay, I have to have like uh, minimum balances on all these checking accounts. And it's like, it requires management. Um, what I like about it is the virtual car, like the idea of virtual cards, being able mm-hmm. to create those. Do they have that concept? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so nice. I, or I think they do. I'm still using Stripe for credit cards, um, which I'm torn about. I, I, I'm really down on Stripe recently. I think that the the whole company is like very clearly headed in the, you know, every every tech company does this where they're like a darling, they really care about UX, all that. And then it's like, oh no, there are investors. We have to, you know, <laughs> we have to turn this into a money-making machine. And I think they're uh they're jumping the shark right now. Mm-hmm. But for now we use them for credit cards and it's fine. But yes, Mercury has credit cards and I believe they do virtual cards. Well, it looks like I, I just clicked on Stripe, um, and this is relevant for like a benefits. Uh, connect your users' financial accounts. It looks like they've uh, rolled out a Plaid competitor. Yes, it's it's expensive. Yeah, but it might be better. It might be worth it. Um. All right, and then you've got uh, Tiny. Let's talk Tiny. Tiny. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you follow these guys, but um, what's what's uh, his name? Um. Pretty Andrew uh, Wilkinson. Andrew Wilkinson, a pretty prominent guy in in the tech startup community. Um, but I think they're in Canada, and mm-hmm. they had a, a business called Tiny um, that it was a holding company uh, for a number of businesses. Some that they started, some that they've bought and uh, managed. Um, and they merged with WeCommerce, which uh, was is a public company, but not on like an American stock exchange. Like I don't really understand where you can buy um, this stock, but, uh, I think effectively, like it it was basically like a reverse IPO, like an IPO through merger. So now tiny is, you can invest in that and their business through this combined entity in the public markets, which is pretty cool. So it's kind of like a SPAC, except that the, the public company isn't like a total shell. It's like a real company. It's a real company. Yeah. It is a way for tiny to go public. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I would, I, I follow like I think they the two partners um, the other guy's name is Chris collectively they own eighty plus percent of the company uh, which is pretty interesting to be able to invest in that in a public company because um, they're they're very like long term value investing investing mind uh, minded and uh, uh, I I don't know I, I I thought this was pretty cool and what a fantasy of like being able to do that like in your into your like retirement um, yeah so I'm envious of what they're doing and. I ma- like could imagine like 20 years from now, like having a small version of this would be re- really cool where you have multiple companies that are doing important things and um, being able to run them the way you want to run them. I agree. But why go public then? I don't know. I guess access to capital um, would be the main reason um, that would, uh, cause like I, that would be my guess, but yeah, what, it, what it, there's some, there's so many downsides to going public. Yeah. Like you, 
they're certainly losing control. I'm not saying they, they're losing all their control, but you would have less control as a public company, even if you still own 80% of it, because now you have like laws you have to abide by and stuff like that. By the way, they're on the Toronto Stock Exchange, it looks like. Um, How do you buy Toronto stock? I think the same way you do. Well, Robinhood doesn't exist in, um, in Canada. Hmm, I don't know. So I've like, never done it. I, I yeah. I've never bought an individual stock in my life. I only buy index funds. So uh, I, of course I you no do. Idea. <laughs> of course I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's cool that like, it's a cool success story of, wow, like this company that they're probably kind of more ambitious and more aggressive than you or I, but like some shared values, it seems like mm-hmm. that they were able to like reach this level of scale to merge with a publicly traded company. Like it is cool. And at the same time, I'm like, you've got this amazing holding company with all these other companies. I know Andrew's rich, like his episodes on my first million, the way he talks, like you can tell he's just throwing millions of dollars around without thinking. (laughs) I don't understand why anyone does this to themselves. Like just keep owning the business. Yeah. There's something though. Like, what is it? Um, is it, is it money? Like it's gotta be like, uh, like money motivation. Yeah. Or, I mean, I guess it's, po- I don't know, WeCommerce really. It's possible that they actually just wanted to acquire WeCommerce and like it was less about going public. I, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. I know some companies go public. If you give stock options to employees, you do need to give them away to li- like a liquidation event type of thing. So it's possible it was for that. Like Stripe is desperately trying to go public right now because employees have been waiting for so long. So maybe that's it. Okay. But yeah, that's a cool success story. We got eight minutes here. Um, we've had a few users or not users, ugh, uh, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the word, um, right in like not recently, like months ago with uh, topic ideas and we've been blabbering on so much. We've never gotten any. Do you, you want to just maybe yeah, take one, one of these off the top one. of the list? Yeah. That's one. Um, so Akshay asked basically, um, how do we deal with compliance and security? So like, uh, if, if you run a software company, people always write in and they're like, you know, are you this compliant? You know, are you uh, PCI compliant? Are you SOC two? Uh, are you know what's your? Uh, why am I spacing on the uh, EU regulation? Um, GDPR. GDPR, yeah. Uh, like, what do you do about that? Um, I, I have, I, I can say what we do, but you have a history of working in like really heavily regulated industries and stuff like that. What do you think about this? Well, I. I, I it only applies if you're going after enterprise. So generally, if you're going, if you're targeting the very small business space, it does not come up um, outside of like very basic, like out of the box compliance stuff. Uh, like I, that's my experience. Well, sl- slight caveat to that. I, I agree. We, we mostly, we, we sell only to small teams, but if you smell, sell to a small team at a big business, so a lot of universities, for some reason, university, a lot of universities use us, not for their like whole university but like it's like the uh the school of architecture has this special alumni and development department with five people and they use us it is such a pain in the ass collecting money from universities because they all they buy software as if they're a fifty thousand person organization even though it's a five user account yep um great example um but yeah i I think like if you're it depends on who you're targeting um i think uh if you're going after big if you're working um if if you're working with large organizations. The, the this is something you have to deal with. Um, if you, but you can avoid it, like by going after a different yeah. target customer. And when the university type customer comes to us, 
So now we have like a team of people. So we're like, maybe we'll fill out your. So for people who haven't done this, they, they'll send you a security questionnaire, which might be an Excel spreadsheet or it might be like a web form, but it's like go through and it's like, do you have systems in place for blah, blah, blah? Do you have systems? And they're very vague and you don't know how to interpret it. It's just, it's a pain in the ass. Sometimes we fill them out, sometimes we don't. But in the early days, we would just be like, absolutely not. We're not filling this out. Goodbye. Um, That's one way to get, deal with it. You don't get that five user count, but it's like in the grand scheme of things, it's just not worth putting that effort in to get a five user count that that demands that much work from you. Yeah. So, um, but like, let's say, let's assume that you do have to do this for your business. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you, if if you want to, if this is a core competency of your business, you've got to develop a core competency in dealing with these security forms and you've got to build like marketing material to respond to them and win them. And yeah. Uh, and, and you got to scale it. How'd you do that? I assume you dealt with this at people keep. We really didn't. Um, it would come up in partnerships. Um, so there were a couple of things that would come up when we wanted to do big deals with like a paychecks or an ADP, they would get super like in our, you know, in the weeds on uh, P- PCI compliance was a big deal back then. Uh, mm-hmm. GDPR wasn't around, but like we had to go through that and we would, we actually got SOC 2 compliant um, or it was, was it called SOC 2 or is it, it was SAS 70 back then. Is what we call it. Yeah, yeah. That we, still exists too. Still I, exists. There's, there's a million of these, but yeah. Yeah. We paid for a certification, but we, you know, we wanted those deals um, and, and the deals just, would have paid for it. Just uh, for people who haven't been through this. Um, yeah. l- let me describe what I think this means and correct me if I'm wrong no. about anything. Any of these SOC 2, SAS 70, HIPAA, there's not like a single governing body that gives you certification. There's just like a set of rules you need to follow. And then what you would generally do is hire some auditing firm. Like a lot of accounting firms have like a wing that does this. They send people into your business. They look at everything and they say, I, with the reputation of my big accounting firm name, I certify that this company is following the requirements to to be SOC 2 compliant or whatever. Is that yep. more or less what you're talking about? Yep. And and usually there's an, also an output as part of that that is like internal policies and procedures related to the certification that you share with uh, in a standardized, like it, you, you basically produce the standard like view of your security protocols. Um, and you can share that with under NDA, like non-disclosure. So typically the way this starts is you, 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 you enter into like a, Hey, like we might want to buy you buy your software. You might not. And it's like, okay, well we have security requirements before we can actually really consider this. The first thing you do is you sign a non-disclosure agreement, an NDA, right? And and it's like, that's the first thing that you sign. And then it's like, okay, now we can share information, but this is all before like whether or not you know you're getting a deal or not. So potential for a lot, ton of wasted, wasted time. Um, but if like, you know, I think early on, like, what do you do? Like you just deal with it, right? Like yeah. stay up late and fill out the forms and try to like hack your way to, to winning a deal. So, so one thought on that, though, you, you said this at the beginning, like if you sell to small companies, you don't have to deal with this. But the corollary to that is if you do this, you have to charge what it's worth. Like why is enterprise software so expensive? It's partially because you have to deal with all this bullshit signing up. So now when, when, a, when a big client comes to us, we, our general rule is we will not sign any NDAs. We're like our terms of service already have everything you're looking for in it. But if they're big enough, we might make an exception. But what we say to them is like, just so you know, we're not going to charge you anything less than $25,000 a year. Like if we're signing this NDA, you are, I just want to prepare you, whatever we charge you, it's going to be at least to this amount. And they're always like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Like we're, we're used to paying huge amounts of money, but you absolutely should not go through this and then be like, we're going to charge you $10 a month at the end of it. Yeah. That's and another way of saying this is like, Hey, if, if you're going to do this, like we're attaching a professional, like 
in addition to our normal fees, there is a, uh, you know, enterprise, uh, bullshit, uh, uh, one-time implementation fee. Yeah. But like, if you look at Salesforce's pricing, you might be like, why is it that there's a, like, why does the price per user get higher as the number of users gets higher? And it's because you have to deal with this shit. Yep. And, and cause they can pay. And yep. So yeah, okay, that's so yeah. Go ahead. Well, one other thing is so so I think there's like a couple of tips that come to mind with this. Is one is like you could if if you think about this from a marketing perspective and position your company to address these concerns, you can get away with a lot of stuff without having to go through the bureaucracy. Um, and that is like treating like positioning your company with like a security page. I don't know if you have one of these. Yep. Um, yeah, we do. Where you talk to each of the points and how you're compliant, and you can get away ninety percent of the time, especially in the mid market and below, with like just showing people that page saying, we got it, we got it covered. Um, So that's one thing. And then the second tip here would be like, if you do need to do the security questionnaires, there are companies that outsource, like sort of like you can outsource Salesforce consulting. You can outsource uh, questionnaire filling out uh, security questionnaires. And so you can hire someone on an hourly basis to do this for you once you kind of figure it out. Mm, Interesting. So I have, I have two two thoughts to riff, especially off that first point you make, that if you have a security page, and so um, Ben Ornstein gave a really good talk at Founder Summit about this, because his company Tuple does a fair amount of enterprise sales. Um, it, doing any kind of enterprise sales, the, the real key is you have to understand the bureaucracy you're dealing with. There are a bunch of people who all have their own incentives, and you have to understand what those incentives are. They have no reason not to waste your time. They'll They'll ask for all kinds of stuff. Um, cause them saying, Hey, fill out this thousand question. I've literally filled out a thousand question survey before they'll ask you to do it. And sometimes if you're just like, no, they'll be like, Oh, okay. I don't, I didn't care about that in the first place. Um, your point about send them the, the security thing. So this is what Ben said. This is what I've done personally. You send them to your website and you say, I think this answers everything you need. If it doesn't let me know which questions it doesn't answer. Now it's the other person's job to figure that out. And they are not going to spend their time on it. They'll just be like, all right, looks good. So just keep in mind when they send this, they're only wasting your time because it costs them nothing and you need to make it cost something. Yeah, th- th- qualify this. Um, like It's like before you're going to spend time in this, you got to figure out how to like make it so that you're not spending time on this um, at all unless it's super qualified deal, like high probability of turning into actual cash. Um, and then second is like, minimize the amount of time you have to put in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you can do both of those with, what you, with the tip you just gave. Um, my final uh, thought here, so Lessening Serum doesn't have any, like, we've never paid for SOC 2 or SAS 70, we're not HIPAA compliant, any of that stuff. We get the questions all the time. Um, our answer to this is, first of all, like I say, I used to work at a company and like was one of the lead people to get HIPAA certified and, and I, I was there for the SAS 70 thing too. So I'm like, I've been through this. I believe we live up to the standards, but because we serve so many different industries and incredibly small businesses, it has not made financial sense for us to have an auditor come in and check. So number one, you can say that. You can be like, I'm not promising you, like, just because we don't have the certification, we are good. And then number two, what we always say is, we're happy to prove it to you. You just need to pay for the audit. It's $50,000. I love it. Um, No one's ever paid, but what it tells them is like, I'm confident we would pass. And some people will will be like, well, that's unacceptable. We need this. Most most customers are like, ah, okay, that's good enough for me. So, um, yeah, those are those are some thoughts. But it sucks. It's the way enterprise software is purchased is just miserable. <laughs> yeah, this is why I stay focused on small businesses. Yeah, it, it, it's a trade off. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we're we're at an hour. Uh, probably a good stopping point.
Cool. Well, um, if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.